We have some storms in the oceans right now, don't we? It's hurricane season. And we've already had one that hit up in Canada that caused a lot of damage. We have another one, I forget what the name of it is, that just hit Puerto Rico and did a lot of damage. And so those kind of storms we can see, predict, get ready for. But sometimes the storms that come into our lives are quite sudden, and they're often really, really fierce. One day we are in perfect health, and suddenly we experience pain, and with a matter, within a matter of hours we find ourselves in the hospital, and the diagnosis is not what we hoped for. The doctor says we'll have to operate at once. A storm has just descended on your life. One day we're sitting at home eating. The telephone rings, and someone on the other end says, I'm sorry, but I have sad news for you. Your son has been killed in a tragic car accident, or maybe it was your daughter or wife or husband. A storm has descended on your life, a fierce one, suddenly. One day your boss calls you in and apologetically informs you the company has been bought out and your position is no longer needed. Your daughter just enrolled in college, you recently had a major car repair expense, and your wife had surgery last week. A storm has descended on your life. It's inevitable that you and I will have major storms like this in our lives. I've recently heard that it was said by someone that in your life you are always just coming out of a storm, or in the middle of a storm, or just entering a storm. Life in a sinful world. These storms can ruin our lives and distract us from our mission, uh, our mission of getting the gospel out to the whole world, or we can allow the storms God has purposefully placed in our lives to lead us into grand opportunities to stay on mission and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. We can respond to storms one of those two ways. In our passage this morning, we are going to find four anchors. Four anchors that help us weather these life storms that will inevitably show up in our lives. So please turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. If you have the Pew Bible, the Red Bible, in front of you, it's on page 1190. Page 1190. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please feel free to take uh, those Bibles, uh, one of those Bibles home with you. It's our gift to you. And so as you are turning here, let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and we have all lived here long enough on this planet to know that storms are going to come into our lives. Sometimes they're just little squalls, and sometimes they're major hurricanes. But Father, we ask today that we would learn or uh, gain some insight in how to handle those storms by looking at the Apostle Paul and how he handled his storms. Guide and direct us, Father, as we look to your word. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, in Acts chapter 27, we're going to see that Luke, who is the writer of Acts, records another long, detailed travelogue. It is a travelogue that reads pretty much like a modern-day movie script. There are dangerous seas and dishonorable sailors and no hope for survival, a shipwreck and poisonous snakes. All, of, all in chapter 27. That's what, that, that's what we find. 
And we also see an unshakable hero who saves the day. And so let's take a look at this travelogue. We're going to spend quite a bit of time here going through and, and getting a handle on what's going on. So we're going to go all the way through chapter 27 and even into the first part of chapter 28, looking at another travelogue. We pick up our study of Acts this morning with Paul being in Caesarea. And we're familiar with that. We've been uh, walking through uh, his ministry. The Apostle Paul has been on trial for his alleged crimes against Judaism. He's been before three officials. We've seen that in the last couple of weeks, Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. While he was having his trial before Festus, he realized he wouldn't receive a fair trial. And so he appealed to Caesar. According to Roman law, this meant his case had to be heard by Caesar himself, and he would have to go to Rome to do that. And our passage this morning gives the account of this very dangerous trip that Paul took from Caesarea to Rome. And it's really interesting to note that Luke could have written a much shorter account of, this, of these travels. But he took 54 verses to give us a detailed description of Paul's trip. 54 verses. Think about that. That's a lot of Bible space on one trip from Caesarea to Rome. It seems as if God, through Luke, wants us to learn something that would help us fulfill our mission. The first eight verses of chapter 27, which we're not going to read, give the details of who was on the ship, where they had left from, and the uneventful, actually pretty boring first part of the trip. They couldn't get the right wind, and they spent weeks trying to, to sail across when the wind was not favorable. And later on this morning, we're going to find out that there were over 250 people, actually about 276 people, on the ships, the various ships that Paul is going to go on. In verse 8, we see they're going to arrive in Fairhaven, and that is not an accurate description. Fairhaven. What would you think when you heard of a city called Fairhaven? Nice, idyllic, you know, that type of thing. Well, this didn't even have a port good enough to overwinter in. It was a small, rocky type of city, and really the town's name did not dictate what it really was. And we know that it was the last day of the fall because in that first part, first eight chapters, uh, verse, excuse me, uh, it says that the day of the fast was over. The day of the fast was the day of atonement. And the day of atonement was the most solemn of all the Jewish festivals because it was one of the only time, it was the only time of the year where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was the inner court, most inner court of the temple, where he would come in a very, very set, distinct way and make atonement for all the nation of Israel once a year, and it was on this day, the Day of Atonement. And so let's look at, starting at verses, verse 9, chapter 27, verse 9, I'm going to read through verse 15. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter, in the, uh, the majority decided to go out, put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they would reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. 
Paul had warned the centurion, the pilot, and the owner that it would be dangerous to continue. It was, it was fall, wintertime, basically all shipping in that area ceased during the winter because it was too dangerous to, to ship uh, anything. And the winds were always contrary, and then we'd have these huge nor'easters come out of, the, out of the north and make it just really, really treacherous. We don't know why Paul knew this. We don't know if he had a vision from God or God had told him. But Paul understood that it was going to be dangerous if they continued. But the people in charge said, no, we're going to go. And so when a favorable south wind came, that they set off for a little town called Phoenix. But a hurricane-force nor'easter blew in and was so strong that they could not make Phoenix and were blown really far off course. And they were driven helplessly along. And then verses 15 through 44 record the harrowing adventures of surviving this storm. And so look at verse 18, and here uh, we see Luke begin a, to give an account of what they experienced. And when we look at this, this is a really unique passage in that this is an eyewitness account. Luke is traveling with them right now. Luke is going to experience this storm and everything that's going on. He's going to experience the hurricane-force winds. And so in, in historical mindset, this would have been a really, really accurate retelling of what happened because not only was there, but how many of you forget something that is really, really treacherous in your life? How many of you know what you had for dinner three weeks ago today? But how many of you can remember a broken bone that you got when you were six? Or how many of you can remember uh, a car wreck you had when you were 15 and you're now 60? You see, things like that, really treacherous events in our lives, indelibly mark themselves on our, on our brains. And, Paul, and excuse me, Luke, going through this very, very dangerous time in his life, he would have been able to accurately describe a lot of things that went on, and he does so. And so let's look at verses 18 and 20, verses 18 through 20. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. The storm was so severe that they began to throw stuff overboard to lighten the ship so that it wouldn't wallow in the crashing waves. The storm was so bad for so many days that everyone, including Luke, remember, who wrote that all hope had, was lost? Look at, look at verse 20 again. He says, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Who else had lost all hope? Luke did. Luke thought he was going to die right there. Just think about what it would have been like being on that ship. 250 very frightened, hopeless people on board. For days they had been driven along by wind. It was dark and no one knew where they were. But not all was lost. Not all was lost. Luke is going to record starting in verse 21. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only that of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel from the, of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who would sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, remember they were going through this for 14 days, 
When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven out across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing the land. And so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding, and again they found fifteen. And fearing that they might run up to some rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for, day, for the day to come. Everyone except Paul had given up because God had sent him an angel to encourage Paul and everyone on board. I am confident that not everybody on the ship was a Christ follower, but at that moment, I'm sure everyone was paying attention to Paul. Everybody thought everything was lost, and you have this one man out of over 250 people stand up and say, hey, there's still hope. He was the only light of hope on that ship. And when people are in a place where they have no hope, when it's dark, they will always gravitate toward any flicker of hope they can find. They are in a bad situation. And Paul has given a little smidgen of hope. The thing you've got to ask is, can it get worse? Is it going to get worse? Look at verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. He took two verses to describe a situation. All right, so you're on a boat. It's being tossed. Everybody's afraid. Paul stands up and says, hey, we're going to be okay. But your pilot and all the sailors are getting ready to abandon ship. What would go through your mind about that time? It would be like a pilot coming down the aisle in an aircraft with a parachute on. How many of you would feel comfortable staying on that plane? And that's what happened. They're getting ready. They're saying, hey, we're going to go let down some more anchors so we can be safe. They lied through their teeth. They were going to lower this lifeboat and take off in it, and leave everybody on that ship to die. And Paul says, nah, nah, remember what I said. God has told me through his angel that we're all going to be safe, but if they leave, we're not going to be. And what we have here is Paul, a centurion, listening to Paul. Paul had come to be respected by this Roman soldier, and he went and he told his men to go to the, to, to the boat and cut the ropes and let the boat go. You think that was just done without much problem? Do you think the sailors would have been a little upset? You think the, the sailors would have pushed back at least a little bit on that? Because they're, they're scared for their lives. They, wanna, they think they can do better without the ship. So let's skip down to verse 39. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, and at the same time loosened the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Verse 42, and the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest they should swim away and escape. They finally see some land. It is actually becoming more light, which probably means the storm is abating a little bit. Another flicker of hope. We might be able to make it. Except for whom? all the passengers. What were the soldiers going to do to the prisoners on board? Kill them. You see, the Roman soldiers understood that, that in life, in their profession, if they let a prisoner escape, what was going to happen? They would die. And the only way for them to assure themselves that they were not going to die was to make sure that they could uh, count 
to their superiors that we have killed everybody on board and we're the only ones left alive. That little ray of hope of that land was quickly dissipated when the people found out the soldiers were going to kill them. But look at chapter 27, verse 43. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul because he respected him, kept them from carrying out their plan, and he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Chapter 28, verse 1. And after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. They're finally safe. I cannot imagine what it would have been like for them to swim up onto the beach. Think about that. 14 days, not knowing if you're going to live, and you're finally standing on dry ground. What would have that been like for you? You see all the movies where they, what, what do they do to the sand? I would probably kiss the sand too. Would you ever want to get back on another ship? Here in a few months, they're going to. But they're safe. But Paul's not out of danger yet. Look at verse 2 of chapter 28. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were all waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said, He was a God. Paul is not even concerned. He shakes the viper off into the fire and goes on with his life. How many of you here would do what Paul did? You're putting on a a bunch of brush on a fire and a snake comes out and grabs you, a poisonous snake. We know that because they thought he was going to swell up and die. And Paul just shakes it off. How many of you would shake it off and run across the sand? Ah! Some of you may have fainted right there on the spot. But Paul, Paul just shakes it off and goes on with life. How could he do that? How could Paul do that? What did God tell him? You are going to be my witness for me where? In Rome. And in Paul's mind, no little snake is going to go against what God had promised him. You see, Paul, Paul believed God's word at face value. Did God warn Paul that he was going to be bitten by a viper? But Paul, believing God at face value, did not even in his mind come in the question of, I'm not going to make it to Rome now because I've been bitten by a snake. Paul just shook the snake off and said, I believe my God, I'm going to Rome, God will take care of this snake bite. How many of us believe God's word like that? At face value, no matter what we encounter, no matter what surprises hit us in our lives, that we just say, this is what God has said, and I will walk in it and just go on with life after shaking off the trouble. So many times we get so tied up with the trouble that we end up in bed, that we end up up hiding from life, we end up uh, taking drugs, we end up finding uh, satisfaction someplace else because we don't trust God at His word. Paul did. The next few verses tell how the shipwrecked survivors were shown hospitality by the island official named Publius. 
And Paul ministered to Publius and others who lived on the island by healing uh, Publius' father and those other people who were sick on the island. And when it was time to leave, the islanders were more than happy to provide what they needed for their travel since they had lost everything in the shipwreck. Look at 28, chapter 28, verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the, with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and then they continue on their trip. And so what we see here is they put in at Syracuse, they went up between the island there, and they went up and finished their travels to Rome. How many of you will want to go on that trip? And again, we have to ask the question, why did Paul record so many verses? Why did he recall it in such detail and God wanted him to put it in the Word of God? You see, I wanted you to see the whole event that Luke records. Because in those 54 verses, we find, as I said, anchors that helped Paul weather the storms that he encountered through his ministry. And I want you to understand something, that Paul, in his ministry, faced many physical storms. Paul was just like us. Paul didn't always enjoy life. Listen to, in 1 Corinthians, I'm not putting it up on the screen, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, I'm just going to read a couple of things. Paul is telling some folks about his life, and he says, are they servants of Christ? That's the false teachers. I am bet- I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He's going, I'm boasting, but I don't want to boast. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. That included one, the time that we have here in front of us. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul said, that's been my life. Physical issues. And we say, well, will these anchors help me emotionally? Well, we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, here we see, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of what? My anxiety for all the churches. Did Paul also have emotional struggles? Yes. Physical and emotional struggles. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, these three anchors can help you weather the storms God brings into your lives as he did Paul. Three anchors that can keep you from being driven uncontrollably by the tempests are the financial storms, the physical storms, the relational storms, and the emotional storms that you and I are going to encounter. And I want you to grasp that. This is not, I might be able to use these three anchors in the near future. I might be able to uh, use them sometime in my life. All of us are going to to need these three anchors because all of us are going to struggle either physically or emotionally when storms come into our lives. And the first anchor that we see and saw in that story was the anchor of God's presence. The anchor of God's presence. What we're going to do now is just look back over the story and kind of pull these out. Look at back at chapter 27, verse 23. Chapter 27, 
verse 23. And what we find here is that, God, uh, that Paul knew God was with him. Chapter 27, starting in verse 23. For this very night, he's talking to the, everybody in the ship, there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sailed with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Did you, did you get that? An angel of the Lord appeared to Paul on the ship to reassure him that God was with him and watching over him and that he would reach Rome. Paul was comforted. His anchor was that he knew that God was present with me. And we already know that Paul was aware of this promise before this angel appeared to him on the ship. Back in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, we see, And the following night the Lord stood by him. He was in prison. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So Paul already knew this. He'd gone through a bunch of things when he was in Jerusalem and then in Caesarea. And then now Paul has been in uh, some really da real danger in the sea, and God comes to him again and says, don't worry, Paul, you're still with you. I'm still here on the ocean with you. You are going, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to save everybody else on the ship because of you. And so Paul understood the presence of God. Paul trusted God and took him at his own word, just as we can. If we stay on mission that God has given us, we're going to face storms. But God has also promised us in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to, deserve, uh, to observe all that I've commanded you. And what's he say? Read it. And behold, read it with me. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you believe God at face value? He is going to be with you no matter what. Whether it's a snake in the bush or whether it's a ship being tossed by hurricane force winds in the sea. God, no matter what you're going through in your life, God is with you. How close is God to us? How close is God to us? 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? How close is God? He's not looking down from heaven. He's not sitting next to you. Where's he at if you're a Christ follower? He's here. There is no place you can go. There is no darkness you can hide in. There is no uh, situation that you're going to encounter that God is not personally with you, inside of you, every breath you take. And if he's that close, why do we struggle taking God at his word when he says, no matter what you encounter in life, I will be with you. The message is the same for us as it was with Paul. Surely I am with you always. Christ followers throughout the ages have found God is faithful to his word. They testify to it again and again. And a friend of mine, my son's pastor, Pastor Jerry Barber, put it like this. The presence of God doesn't keep you from storms, but the presence of God does keep us through the storms. The presence of God doesn't keep us from the storms, but the presence of God does keep us through the storms. Do you really know that God is with you? Are you aware of his presence? 
When the storms come, that will make a big difference in your life. Knowing that you are anchored in the presence of God. The second anchor we encounter is the anchor of belonging. The anchor of belonging. Paul knew he belonged to God. Take a look at chapter 27, verse 23. Chapter 27, verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God. And what is the next phrase? To whom I belong. Have you ever stopped a minute to consider how, consider how you belong to God? He says, I belong to God. What does that mean for you and I, biblically? I want you to understand something. that You belong to God as a bride belongs to her bridegroom. You belong to God as a bride belongs to the bridegroom. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 11.2. For I feel a divine jealousy towards you. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Since I betrothed you to one husband... He's saying, I, I was like a father to a daughter, church in Corinth, and I betrothed you to one husband. And who was that husband? To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Who is Christ's bride? The church. The church. Here Paul is saying that when he was in Corinth, he watched over the church. And we belong to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture. Nothing is going to tear you, the bride of Christ, from the arms of Jesus Christ. Nothing is going to tear you as a bride of Christ from Jesus Christ's arms. Paul had this sense that I belong. And he belonged to Jesus Christ as a bride belongs to her bridegroom. You also belong to God as a child belongs to their father. You belong to God as a child belongs to a father. Many, all of us here who have raised children understand what that is. Those kids belong to whom? Me. There are many times in life that you might want to give them to somebody else. Okay, how many of you here have ever wanted to give your kids away? But what do you know? They belong to you. You belong to God just in that way. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He is not, he's just risen from the dead. But I go to my brothers and say, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and what? And your Father to my God and your God. I am ascending to my Father and your Father. God is our Father. He looks at us as his children. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir through God. Again, what do we get to call God? Abba, Father. We are his children. And since we are God's children, would it even be possible for God to walk away from His own children? We belong to Him. He's not going to turn His back on us. <clears throat> He's given us His Spirit. He's close with us. And we have this sense of belonging. I belong to God. And no matter what happens in our life, we know what? I belong to God. 
No matter what we encounter, I belong to God. And the people who are messing with me are messing with God's property. And who's going to take care of that in His time and in His will? God will. We are secure in the storms because we understand that we belong to God. We also belong to God as sheep belong to a shepherd. John 10, 3, to Him, that's Jesus Christ, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. Who is our shepherd? Jesus is. What was the responsibility of a shepherd for the sheep? He had to care for them and feed them and watch over them. Those sheep belong to whom? The shepherd. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Has Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, his sheep? Amen. What a sense of belonging that needs to bring to our lives. No matter how severe the storm you are in, no matter how big the waves, no matter how much you are tossed about, the second anchor reminds us that we belong to God, and God takes care of those who belong to Him. I pray that everyone here this morning knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belong to God because those who belong to God can never be taken out of His hand. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. For I am sure, listen to this, how secure are you in your belonging? For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody says, Amen. That belonging, that sense of belonging, that understanding that we belong to God will always be, from here throughout all of eternity, it will never, never end. What can be taken from God's hand? Nothing. We can have hope in the storms of life because of the anchors by the truths that He is always present and we belong to Him. And then we see the third anchor, the anchor of God's preserving sovereignty. The anchor of God's preserving sovereignty sovereign acts chapter 27 again starting in verse 23 for this very night there stood before me an angel of god to whom i belong and whom i worship and he said do not be afraid paul you must stand before caesar and behold god has granted you and all those who sail with you the only person in the universe worthy of worship is the one who created our very reality the one and only god who created something from nothing when he said let there be light is the one who is our sovereign God over everything. He created everything by the word of His mouth as sovereign God. Reflect on the sovereign power of God over Paul's life in just the last few chapters that we went over. God saved Paul's life from a mob through a pagan Roman soldiers. God saved Paul's life through multiple assassination attempts. God saved Paul and hundreds of people from a hurricane-forced storm. God saved Paul from a viper's poisonous bite. All because God promised Paul he had chosen Paul to be a witness for him in Rome. Nothing was going to get in the way of sovereign God's plan and will. And you want to know something? Nothing will get in the way of God's sovereign plan and his will for your life. There is no storm that God is not in control of. There is no storm that isn't meant to grow you and to mature you as a Christ follower. We can 
be calm, just like Paul was in the midst of that hurricane force wind. Can you imagine Paul getting up and looking at over 250 people and saying, hey, let's get something to eat. You haven't eaten enough. Put that in your mind. I would have looked at Paul in that situation and said, you're a what? You're a nut. We're getting ready to die, and you're thinking about eating a piece of bread so I don't get weaker. Who cares if I get weaker? I'm going to die in just a few hours. But Paul was calm. We know that as long as God has work for us to do, God will preserve us to do it. God will not be frustrated, and if God is, frustrate, uh, is not frustrated, then we do not need to be frustrated with the storms in our lives either. If God has worked for us to do, then God will keep us alive to do it. And if you have finished the work that God has given you to do, why in the world would you want to tarry on this earth anymore? We may want to go to heaven as soon as possible, but until then, we need to get on with what the mission God has given us because we understand that it's His plan and He is sovereign God. An anchored life while on mission for our Savior changes lives. This is, these anchors aren't just for us. These anchors aren't just for us to be self-focused on. You see, there are results that come from having an anchored life. Because of the faith Paul had and because of what he knew of God, Paul was able to encourage others. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? So Jonah did what? God said, hey, I have a job for you. I have a mission. Was that Jonah's mission? Given to him by God as a prophet? Go to Nineveh? What did Jonah say? Ain't no way. So he gets on the boat. Similar theme, boat theme, right? Goes along. What happens? Really big storm. Finally gets thrown overboard. Jonah was wanting away from God. So the storm, when the storm hit, where was Jonah? Sleeping in the ship. He was not out on the deck helping others like Paul was. He was in the hold of the ship, asleep, like so many of us as Christians are, because we are not on mission. We're trying to run from God. We're trying to escape from what He wants us to do, because we're more interested in this life than the plan He has for our life. Others were in danger, but Jonah was of no use to them. By contrast, Paul was on mission. So when the storm broke... He emerged as the real leader in this situation. We've already looked at this. Acts chapter 27, 33, and 34. Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. You want to know something? This is practical Christianity right before our faces. Sometimes people say Christians are so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly use. But that's backwards. It is the heavenly-minded people who are of earthly use and are worth something to other people. I do not think the world has any awareness about how much it owes to the presence of Christians in its midst. Here were soldiers and sailors and prisoners, over 250 of them, and they were all spared because of Paul staying on mission. The Lord Jesus Christ, not long before His arrest and crucifixion, gave a sermon on the Mount of Olives, and He spoke of wars and rumors of wars. It was His way of saying, life is filled with trouble, and you are going to be experiencing it. And then look at what He said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. 
and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. What's he say? Everybody read it with me. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Do not be alarmed with the storms that come into your life, even if there's rumors of war. Don't be concerned. I'm in control. No matter what storm hits your life, I'm in control. Don't be alarmed. Paul was not alarmed. Paul stood up and said, hey, I trust God at his word. We are not going to die. You need to eat something. He was calm. He was practical. The Lord Jesus says that we don't need to be alarmed. We're not to be warned by war's calamities. We're not to be alarmed by life's storms as difficult as they can be. We're not alarmed by sickness or disease or persecution or loss of jobs. Why? Because God is the God of circumstances, and He is able to and indeed does preserve us in the midst of whatever we encounter, whatever storm we encounter in this life. It is our task to trust Him at all times and to stay on mission and to tell the world about Jesus Christ. That is our task as long as God permits us to remain on this earth. And as long as we are taking breath on this earth, that is our task. Never to run from it, never to hide from it, never to go down into the hole because we don't want to do it. We stay on task. We witness to the world. We witness to the towns around us. We witness to our co-workers and our neighbors because that is our mission. When we are anchored by the same three anchors we see in Paul's travels to Rome, the anchor of God's presence, the anchor of belonging, the anchor of God's preserving sovereignty, listen to this, we will always have we will be able to comfort others experiencing the storm with us. And we will see people saved by the grace of God. Who was saved by Paul? Because he stayed on mission. 250 people in a boat. And not only that, who else was saved? Because Paul stayed on mission. Publius, his father, was saved. Other people who were ill on the island were saved. Because Paul stayed on mission no matter what. Do we want to see people saved by Jesus Christ? Do we want to see people change people's lives? Then we need to stay on mission no matter what happens, no matter what we experience, and God will help us save people and encourage people just like He did Paul. But so many of us are afraid. So many of us don't want the mission that God has given us, and we find ourselves in the hold like Jonah was, sleeping, because we just don't want to deal with life. We don't have to be like that. God is right here. He is present with us. We belong to Him. And He is the sovereign, mighty God that controls every atom in His universe. Why should we be afraid to carry out our mission? Because somebody on this earth might say, I don't like you, or you're narrow-minded, or you're just an idiot. We must never forget, the presence of God does not keep us from storms, but the presence of God does keep us through the storms, and that gives us hope. Every day of our lives, that gives us hope. Bow your heads for just a minute, please. If you're in a storm right now, Maybe a small one, maybe just a little tempest, or maybe it's a hurricane. I hope that you're encouraged this morning. I pray 
that you can go to God right now and just worship Him. Thank Him because you know now more than you did when you walked in here that you can survive this storm. And not only just and not just survive it, but you can be used by God to change other people's lives. You can change the doctor's lives, the nurse's lives. You can change the Walmart cashier's life. You can change your neighbor's life, a family member's life. But only if you stay on mission and don't focus on the storm, but focus on the presence of God and these three anchors. If you're in a storm right now, pray that, right now that God would help you change your focus away from you and the storm and to the mission He has called you to. Maybe you're not in a storm Amen. But understand something. There's one just around the corner because we live in a sin-cursed world. And so now, right now, you are better prepared to enter that storm than maybe you have been able to enter any other storm previously. Don't allow what God has showed us in the life of Paul just to fade from your memory. Go back and Read chapter 27. Commit it to your heart and understand and see how God used Paul in a very, very dangerous situation. And you can be ready for the next one coming around the corner. And maybe there are people here this morning who are saying, I don't have that close relationship, that belonging, because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I don't understand what it means to be saved. I don't understand what it means to have that kind of confidence in the Word of God because I just don't get it. I hope and pray that maybe God has uh, sparked something in your heart right now to say that I want it though. I want to understand what it is. I want to know more about it. And please, if God has you there this morning, then I want you to come and talk to me. Talk to somebody maybe you're sitting next to. But don't let that spark just sit there. Allow God to open your heart and enliven your heart so that you too can be like Paul, that you too can have confidence in storms because you now have a mission in life, a mission that will uh, last for eternity or that the results will last for eternity. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know the one who is always with you, if you don't belong to Him, and if you don't see Him and know Him as your sovereign God, that can change today. That can change today. Come and talk to me. I'll be up front here this morning. There'll be, uh, be a deacon at the back. You can talk to either one of us, set up an appointment, or even just pray right now in front. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for this 54-verse travelogue of a very dangerous journey where we see Paul anchored in his relationship with you. And Lord God, I pray that we would learn from him. I pray, Lord God, that we would anchor ourselves in the truths that Paul did. I pray, Lord God, that the world would see 
us on mission, anchored in that mission, because we believe your word. And Father, I pray that they would see us weather whatever storm comes our way. I pray, Lord God, that the world will look at us and go, how in the world can they deal with that? And we can look at them and say, because of my Savior. Father, thank you for your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen.